0: This morning's Bible reading is 1 Timothy chapter three. 1 Timothy chapter three. I'm reading from the NIV version. Here is a trustworthy saying, whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. Now, the overseer is to be above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent, but gentle, so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. In the same way, deacons are to be worthy of respect, sincere, not indulging in much wine and not pursuing dishonest gain. They must keep hold of the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. They must first be tested and then, if there is nothing against them, let them serve as deacons. In the same way, the women are to be worthy of respect Not malicious, talkers, but temperate and trustworthy in everything. A deacon must be faithful to his wife and must manage his children and his household well. Those who have served well gain an excellent standing and great assurance in their faith in Christ. Although I hope to come to you soon, I am writing you these instructions so that, if I am delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. Beyond all question, the mystery from which true godliness springs is great. He appeared in the flesh, was vindicated by the spirit, was seen by angels, was preached among the nations, was believed on in the world, was taken up in glory. Have you applied for a job recently? I mean, it's hard isn't it because more often than not they've got job specs specific requirements that you must meet if you're to be considered for the job so my old job as a radiographer you have to have the right degree in order to be able to get the right registration and the right professional credentials and that's before all the requirements that would actually make you any good at it or mean that people might actually want to work with you i found some others online and um, so There's a tweet here from Sebastian Ramirez, couldn't apply for this job, asking for four years experience of a particular software. The funny thing is, Sebastian himself created this software and only one and a half years ago. Or how about this one? Wanted, grape stompers, must have good balance and large feet. Skinny folk need not apply. Well, that's fair enough, I suppose. Or how about this one? Surgeon wanted for a new health clinic opening in the area. No experience needed, must have own tools. I don't think I want to go there. Well, are the job specifications for leaders in the church? So for me, for Michael, our trainee, for our growth group leaders, kids church leaders, what about those doing welcoming or serving morning tea? Should we have expectations of them or just let anyone do it? Well, we've been seeing in 1 Timothy how everything we are about as a church and as individual Christians is to be gospel-shaped, motivated by, shaped and moulded by lining up with the good news of God's grace to us in Jesus. And today we're going to think about what gospel-shaped leaders and people serving in church are to be like. And it's all about having gospel-shaped integrity. Our lives, what we do and our character matching up with the truth of the gospel we believe. Now, of course, I've got to mention the elephant in the room. If you've been following Ravi Zacharias' ministry, so Ravi Zacharias was widely considered to be the world's best apologist and evangelist. Thousands benefited from his ministry. But since his death last year, it transpires that now he's become known as one of the world's greatest frauds. It's come to light that he was. Guilty of using his position as a trusted Christian leader to carry out ongoing sexual and spiritual abuse over many years in many places. He even used counselling abuse survivors as a way in to abuse them further. And then denied and sued them when accused, causing further pain for his victims. It's heartbreaking for those survivors of his abuse it's heartbreaking for the thousands who benefited from its ministry and it's heartbreaking for Jesus whose name he has dragged into his disrepute. And I can't think of a more stark example of the devastation that a lack of integrity in a church leader can cause. Let's just pray for those survivors briefly. Lord we are um, shocked and appalled Uh, this news and we just desperately pray for those survivors we desperately pray for those who've been turned off Jesus by hearing about this betrayal please would you rule and reign please would you restore and heal and not let this put anyone off coming to know the grace and love and integrity of Jesus himself amen But that's all I want to say about that case because the danger is that without realising it, we centre our application kind of out there on big ticket cases like that and miss what God has got to say to you and to me here in Trinity Church Woodcroft, in how we live our lives at home, at church, in work or school, in public. So here's the plan for today's talk. We'll start at the end of verses 14 and 16. Think about why it matters. Then we'll look briefly at job titles, just what is an overseer, what's a deacon, or even an elder. And then we'll look at the essential characteristic requirements for a gospel-shaped leader. And finally, we'll think about our job application, the implications for us as we take up these roles in this church now. Why it matters, job titles, essential characteristics, job application. First then, let's look at and see Look at the end and see why it matters. What is the gospel heart, the gospel reason that shape the requirements for our leaders? Well, all this matters because of what church is. So verses 14 and 15. Although I hope to come to you soon, I am writing you these instructions so that if I'm delayed, you'll know how to, people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God. The pillar and foundation of the truth. God's household. So we're not described as a business or an institution, but as God's family. The essence of church is relationships. Us in relationship with God and us in relationship with each other. And the relationships that God cares so much about that He took the initiative and sent Jesus to be our mediator, our go-between, and our ransom, clearing our debt of sin, so that we can live in peace with God. And it really cost God, but he thought you and I were worth it. That's why it's a noble task to be an overseer, seeking to grow and add to the group of people that God has rescued with his own blood. So us being church together lives out in relationship and displays our relationship with God. So how we're led, and consequently how we live, matters because God wants all people to be saved, and people aren't going to see why they should join this household of God if our character is no different to the world. Family, is that how you view church? I just not recall growing up my mum telling me you treat this place like a hotel meaning that I expected to be served but wasn't finding ways I could serve my, in my own way. So if you treat your family with a consumerist attitude it doesn't work does it? What if we treat church like we're a consumer just only coming along every so often for what we can get out of it? Well that's not a household, that's a shop. So don't wait to be served, serve. You get to know people, don't wait to be known. And if something is missing from our church, maybe, just maybe, God's put you in our church to be the one to grow our household in that way. Church is God's household and it's the pillar and foundation of truth. How? Well, what's the place you go locally if you're going to do some do-it-yourself renovations? Well Bunnings probably, or if you don't want to play Where's Wally, looking for staff, maybe you go to Mitre 10, or you go to a hardware store. They're the local centres for you uh, to go to for all things do-it-yourself. So similarly if you want flowers you go to the florist, if you want to queue you go to the post office. But the local church is where you come to for the truth, to hear the truth that matters most, the good news about Jesus. To come where it, that truth is taught and held firmly in such a way that you can build your life on it. Church is the foundation and the pillar. For those not, and for those not resting on the foundations, the church is a pillar in that it holds up high and shows off, so it's unmissable, the truth of the Gospel for all to see and hear. So next Paul gives us the Gospel message again, in what seems to be a song or a poem that he's reciting. 1 Timothy 3.16 Beyond all question, the mystery from which godliness springs is great. He appeared in the flesh, was vindicated by the Spirit, was seen by angels, was preached among the nations, was believed on in the world, was taken up in glory. Mystery there is more like a revealed mystery, something that was hidden, um, so how it could be made right with God, that's now revealed, the mystery solved in Jesus. And it's from that mystery that's now revealed that our godliness springs. I mean, we're going to look at loads of standards of character today, stuff that we do. But this gospel is what shapes and drives us to do that. None of this is us doing enough good stuff to earn God's favour. But it's about responding to God's favour given to us for free by grace through Jesus. Now, I can't go into this gospel summary in detail now, but what we have here isn't six things for us to do for God. No, it's six things that God did for us whilst we were still rejecting his household, holding his fatherhood in contempt. Not a list of do's and don'ts. A summary of a job done. Truth you can bet your life on. So before we get into the characteristics shaped by this gospel, let's get our heads around the job titles that Paul uses. So the two in this passage are overseers and deacons. But elsewhere in Titus and in Acts 20, we overseers are also called elders. Those two, that overseer and elders, those two terms seem interchangeable. And did you notice the requirements of overseers and deacons mostly overlap, mostly the same? The big difference being that overseers are required to be able to teach. And that's because overseers are to shepherd or pastor the flock. Uh, They bring the church the truth of the gospel and defend the church against false teaching and error. So in our context, uh, overseer, that's me, anyone who preaches on here or up the front of the church, those who lead our kids' church, our growth group leaders, anyone in kind of word ministries. And deacon just means servant, someone who in some way serves the church under the overseer. Verse 11, where it says, talks about women, that could be saying wives of deacons, or it could be saying, as it says, women. And elsewhere in the New Testament, we get told about Phoebe, who's a deaconess. So I reckon women is about right. So deacons for us or anyone on one of our serving teams? The actual labels, overseers, deacons, elders, we deliberately don't use those titles in our network of churches because they just carry too much historical Christian baggage, meaning different things to different people. What's important is the principle behind them, the activities described and the characteristics described in the Bible that surround them. So notice, apart from the ability to teach, the qualifications for each are pretty similar, aren't they? Uh, More than that, they don't stand out as particularly different to what is taught as Christian behaviour for all believers in the rest of the New Testament, are they? They're really just a good summary of what a mature Christian looks like. So I don't want you to switch off thinking, ah, well, I'm not a preacher, never will be. No intentions of leading anything, so this talk isn't for me. Now, these are good things for every Christian to aspire to. Because every one of us, every Christian, is the Christian leader amongst our unbelieving friends and family. Every one of us is part of that outward-facing aspect of church that lets the world look in on know if they can respect us for walking the talk, practising what we preach, or if we're a bunch of hypocrites. So let's have a look then at these essential characteristics. Our next heading, Essential Characteristics for Overseers and Deacons. And we're going to break it down into how they're to serve, where they are to serve, and when they're to serve. So first, how. How. Verse 2, the overseer is to be above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. And we see similar standards for the deacons and the women. Notice the only skill qualification is the ability to teach. All the other qualifications are about character. So above reproach is the headline, and the rest are ways in which we achieve that. They're not even particularly exclusively Christian virtues, are they? seems the important thing here is verse 7, how we present to the world because people universally hate hypocrisy, don't they? Well, hypocrisy in other people, at least, they do. And we, as a church, reckon we rejoice that we've been saved from our sin. So how would it look then to be characterised by being sinful? What would that say to anyone looking on about turning to Jesus for rescue themselves? They'd think, didn't seem to do much for them. I don't think I'll bother. Uh, Mark Curran, who I used to work with at Brighton and now he's at Oldgate, associate pastor there, he tells the story of he was walking through a car park on a sweltering 40 degree day and saw a dog locked in the back of a parked car, panting away. And he couldn't help noticing the bumper sticker on the back of the car, ban live animal exports. Their virtue signaling much stronger than their actual virtue. Godliness, so that's caring what God thinks, and behaving in light of that, that really matters to God. He wants to grow us in godliness. And what we say, matching what we do, really matters to God. God said he would save us, and he followed through on his promise by paying with his own blood. So we need good leaders, because people need this good news. Overseers must teach the gospel. Deacons, verse nine, must hold on to these deep truths. And people need to see this truth lived out as well as taught. But imagine if I, as your overseer, lowered the bar on some of this. Say I was flirty with other women all the time, made digs about Sharon. Or if occasions at our house, could be characterised by more than a few drinks being had. Well, pretty soon that would set the culture of our church and before long, the bar would be lowered for lots of us. And in the end, people visiting our church would wonder why any of us bothered. That's why I don't worry too much about churches that abandon biblical orthodoxy and go all liberal because they aren't offering anything different to the world. And so eventually, they'll empty altogether. Now, instead of lowering the bar, what I try to do as an overseer is set the bar just that bit higher for me. These standards set for us to try and be a good example that if God can save and change, transform a ratbag like me, well, just imagine what he wants to do with you. God wants us to be changed, to grow in godliness. And He wants leaders to be great examples of these characteristics to help us all in that. Now, we could do a whole sermon on any one of these characteristics, couldn't we? But let's just look at the love of money, because we've got an AGM coming, an annual general meeting coming up, and it's a good opportunity to show how we're organised as a church to help me and to you. Uh, avoid love of money. We have to talk about money because Jesus did, you know, half of Jesus' parables were about love of money. One in seven verses in Luke's gospel mention money or about money. See, our hearts are idle factories and money can do so much to compete for our affection, bringing us power, comfort, prestige, the appearance of security. It's so easy to fall in love with money and it can so easily dictate the direction of our lives where we invest our time and our energy dragging us away from serving God's household. So one way I'm helped as your overseer to not have a love of money is I'm paid well. So similar to that of a teacher so I'm never tempted to dial down on the teaching because I'm worried that the giving will go down and I'll get paid less. Not, I get paid the same regardless. Uh, another thing is that only one person in the whole network, our network business manager, knows who gives what electronically. Again, to protect us from falling in love with the big givers of money. Um, on a practical level, um, Uh, Michael and I, people employed, aren't allowed to handle any of the cash so that we're above reproach, and our leadership team, part of their job is to keep me accountable for how the money you give is spent. But The real antidote to love of money is to give away lots of it, give away big chunks of it, sacrificial. Whatever your income level, give sacrificially in a way that impacts your lifestyle. And I, as your overseer, need to keep hearing that call to be generous or else why should I expect you to be generous? So I don't mind telling you that during last year, all of us senior pastors in the network volunteered, we chose to take a pay cut of between 10 and 20% because of the uncertainty around COVID. We didn't know what that would do to giving across the network. Now as things have settled, we've returned to normal pay. Now, I'll tell you that not to brag about how generous me and the guys are. No, I'm telling you that to lead you in thinking about how you can be generous and make sure you don't fall in love with money. All right, so that's how leaders serve. Where they serve is everywhere, at home, at church and in public. So verse 4. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him. And he must do so in a manner worthy of full respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? Uh, And also verse 7, he must also have a good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. So the logic goes, since church is a household, leaders should be able to manage their own households. Well, they've got no chance with the church. Now I, like every pastor, like every parent, have been on occasion disobeyed by my children. But Sharon and I hope that by managing things well, in a manner worthy of respect, so being temperate, self-controlled, hospitable, all of that, that on the whole we'll do all right at home and at church. Again, it's about integrity, about who you are at home, being the same person as who you are at church and who you are in public. So how, how, where, and when we serve as leaders. Verse six, he must not be a recent convert or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. Look, like it or not, positions like mine carry power and influence. And people do often tell me nice things ways have helped change their lives and their thinking. It's a big deal with big responsibility and if you haven't got these characteristics, if you're too new to things of Jesus, well you won't be able to cope with the adulation. You'll get puffed up, you'll be in danger of giving the credit to yourself and leading people to follow you and trust in you instead of following and trusting in Jesus. So how, where, and when. Okay, now let's put in our own job application, thinking through what this means for us now. This is a, f- a funny passage to preach on because really the application is in the text. So it's a, it's a great passage to just keep coming back to, to kind of audit ourselves against. Is this my character or is that a characteristic I need to work on? Uh, but let's think through our leadership team as we think through um, receiving nominations for leadership to our leadership team at the moment. Where does our leadership team fit in? Are they overseers, deacons? Well, I'd say our leadership team acts as a subset of the overseer's role. So they don't do teaching, but they are part of making sure our church sticks to the gospel truth and maintains gospel priorities, that we don't get distracted. And they're also an important part of ensuring that we are above reproach in the way we operate holding myself and others to account. So those are the ways they help me to shepherd, help me to oversee, in that kind of bigger picture kind of way. A couple of things to notice in this passage and others like it. It's clear that the norm for churches is to have leadership and structures, but the New Testament is largely silent on what those structures should be, from time to time you get movements in christianity wanting to get back to the original new testament church meaning they want to strip churches of their structures and hierarchy uh, and just go for more the relational thing with jesus and of course we don't want dry institutionalism crushing our heart level relationship with jesus and his gospel driving all we do but we do organize things and we do have leaders To keep Jesus the main thing. The organisation is there to help things be organic, but in a good, sticking with the gospel kind of way. See, the reality is, we are all led by someone, whether we know it or not. So it's better for church to be proactive and upfront and clear about what we want our leaders to be like. For all of us, wherever we're up to as overseers or deacons or just finding our feet at the moment aspire to have these characteristics not in order to be saved but because you are saved and you want to join in God's mission to save even more so pray pray for God to grow these characteristics in you so that people look at you look at our church and see the transforming grace of Jesus being lived out to finish then Gospel-shaped integrity is crucial for the advance of the gospel, because our character, how we present to the watching world, says such a lot about Jesus' impact on our lives. When we stand before the living God, we'll be judged on Jesus' perfect performance. That's his gift of grace to us. But when the world looks on us, his church, they will judge Jesus on our character to live lives of integrity shaped by Jesus. Jesus who put his money where his mouth is, all the way to enduring the cross to save us as he promised he would.